You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. Before there was iTunes, Spotify, or MP3s, there were cassette tapes. We would buy blank cassette tapes and we would wait by our boombox for our favorite radio station to play the songs that we wanted to hear. And what we would do with those blank tapes is we would make something called a mixtape. I'm giving you a history lesson, young people. We would make mixtapes. Now, it might take you a week or a month to make your mixtape because you had to wait by the radio until the station played your song. But eventually, you would record all of your favorite songs on a mixtape, or you would record songs according to a theme, and then you would put a fresh label on that mixtape, and then you would label that bad boy. But there would always come a time with your mixtape where your music was sort of played out where your music was kind of out of style at that point. At some point, it no longer sounded good to you. But you wouldn't take that cassette tape and throw it away. You wouldn't throw it in the garbage. You knew that there was a way to make that tape last. You knew that it was possible to record a new mix on the same tape. You would record new songs and new artists on that same tape, overriding the outdated mix. And then you would put a new label on that tape and rebrand it for the new mix. The human heart functions much like one of those old cassette tapes. On your heart is recorded a mix of themes and things that you love and care about. But our great problem, y'all, is that we've been listening to the wrong stations and recording bad music on the mixtape of our souls. We have listened to the music of materialism and have recorded it on our souls. We have listened to the sounds of selfishness and we have recorded it onto the mixtape of our souls. We have listened to the rhythm of pride and we've recorded it on the mixtape of our souls. And the label that is on all of our souls reads prodigal mix. Have you considered what's on the mixtape of your soul? What does the label on your soul say about the themes of your life and your loves and your interests and what you value? And what you worship. The good news of God's grace is that no matter how played out your mix may be in light of the arrival of the kingdom, the Lord doesn't just throw the tape out. He doesn't just toss it in the garbage because he knows that there's a way to make that tape last. He knows that there's a way to record a new mix and new songs on the same tape. And that newness begins with the resurrection. This morning, we're going to see how the greatest enemy of Christ 
becomes his greatest representative. We're going to see an astonishing change come over the most unlikely person imaginable when he meets the resurrected Jesus. And in order to make sense of what this means for our lives, we're going to approach this text through two points. We're going to see the old mix and the new mix. Those are our two points for this morning. So let's look at our first point where we consider the old mix. He wrote... 13 books of the New Testament. He was the greatest missionary in history. He started churches all over the known world. He defended the gospel before kings. He was beaten, stoned, and imprisoned for his testimony to the fact that Jesus is Lord, God in the flesh, come to rescue a broken world. And he would eventually be martyred for clinging to this message. The Apostle Paul has been called the most important man in the Christian faith after Jesus Christ. But before he was Paul, the great apostle, he was Saul, the great opponent of the Christian church. In our passage for this morning, we pick up the story of this man's stunning transformation. In the book of Acts, we listen to the old mixtape of Saul's soul. And we witness how God would overwrite his outdated mix. But first, I want to take a closer look. Who was this character, Saul? Saul was an educated man. He was a scholar, in fact. He trained with one of the greatest rabbis of the day. Saul was educated. But he was an educated fool. And this is a challenging thought for all of these amazing people who come to Washington, D.C. with all of those letters behind their names and fancy degrees and fancy jobs. It's challenging to hear that you can know everything about politics and not know the king of kings and his kingdom. That you can know everything about jurisprudence and not know the one mediator between God and man. It's a challenge to know that you can know everything about geology and not know the rock of ages. That you can know everything about medicine and not know the great physician. That you can know everything about real estate and not understand your real estate. You can know everything about a lot of things, but be ignorant about the most important things. We also know from this text that Saul was a committed man. He was climbing the ranks in his religious career as a Pharisee. And his commitment to climbing the ranks and demonstrating his superiority over his peers resulted in a destructive path. Just a chapter ago, he was watching with approval as his collaborators stoned a man to death for believing in Jesus. And now verse 1 of our text tells us that he was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. You understand what he was doing? He was going the extra mile in his career in order to rise to the top, but there was a wake of destruction in his pathway on his career climb. Does that sound familiar? 
Many people have trampled on everyone in their life, everyone in their path. They've ruined marriages and families on their career climb to the top. But it's nothing but destruction on that pathway. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with building a good career. That's a good thing. But when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, you will hurt people in order to get it. Your heart can be occupied by so many good things that you have no room for the truly ultimate things. Your mind could be completely occupied with good things like working a job, parenting kids, taking care of your house. But it's possible to have the great thing obscured by the good things. The central lie at the heart of this way of living in the world is that the good life is achieved by grit rather than received by grace. It's a lie, though. This way of seeing the world gets the fundamental problem wrong, so it gets the fundamental solution wrong. When you come to the end of your life, you're going to have most of the good things that you wanted, but it won't be enough. It won't satisfy you. That's why we have countless stories of people who got to the top and then they realized it was nothing but emptiness up there too. Because they were trying to get from a career or from a spouse or from an achievement what only God can give. It's a futile way of life. This text shows us that every way of life that disregards the need for resurrection life ultimately fails to lead us to true life. And the last thing I'll say about Saul is that he was convinced. He was convinced. He thought he understood who God was. He had spirituality figured out, he thought. He was absolutely convinced that everything he thought about God was accurate. He was certain that he knew what God was like. He was certain that his life was not only acceptable to God, but pleasing to God. That's what he thought. But ultimately, the mixtape of Saul's soul had one theme, and it could be labeled self-righteous mix. But in verse 3, we're going to see that new mix recorded on his soul. He then starts spreading what he tried to wipe out. He comes to love what he once hated. He pumps life into what he tried to kill. He starts fighting for what he was fighting against. This man who was once full of hatred comes to be full of the spirit of God. The one who sought to arrest those belonging to Jesus is suddenly arrested by the grace of Jesus himself. The stalker has been stalked by love. The bounty hunter has been captured by mercy. A new mix is recorded on his soul, which brings us to our second point, the new mix. In verses 3 through 4, we see that while Saul is still on the road to Damascus to bring grief to the disciples, he doesn't realize that there's someone else on that road who's coming to him to bring him grace. And all of a sudden, this brilliant light shows up on the road, and Saul is knocked down. He's on the ground laying down. The light of the world becomes the light of his world. And in verse 4, a voice calls out from this brilliant light saying, 
Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Completely bewildered, Saul replies back, Who are you, Lord? It was a question concerning identity. Who are you, Lord? And you know what? You may be asking that question in here today. Who are you, Lord? Because I look around at the things going on in my life, and I draw certain conclusions. But I need to know who you really are. Saul didn't realize that it would take a lifetime blended into an eternity for this question to be answered for him. But the answer came back and struck him with immeasurable, life-transforming power. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. In other words, I am the Lord's salvation. I am the God of your fathers. I am the second Adam who has come to restore what the first Adam ruined. I am the word become flesh dwelling among humanity. You want to know who I am, Saul? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, but behold, I am alive forevermore. I am the one who holds the keys to death and Hades, Saul. I am the one who makes all things new. I am the one coming back to judge the living and the dead. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Paul could have expected this to be his worst nightmare come true. He could have expected this to be the most terrifying and devastating moment of his existence as he lays there before the blinding glory of his greatest enemy. He had spent his life and career in absolute opposition to Jesus. With every fiber of his being, he hated and despised Jesus because he was so zealous for his beliefs at the time. He saw Jesus as a messianic imposter. He saw Jesus as a fraud and deceiver who was leading his precious Jewish brothers and sisters away from the faith. All of this nonsense about resurrection was pure garbage in his mind. All of this business about a crucified king was utter nonsense. So now that he's being confronted by the shocking reality of his error, He could have expected that this would be the moment of his destruction. He's at the mercy of the king he violently opposed. But at the cross, we learn that Jesus is about enemy love. In the story of Saul and every believer... We are reminded that Jesus, even in all his glory, is still about enemy love. Because when Saul wasn't looking for Jesus, Jesus was looking for him. When he wasn't interested in Jesus, 
Jesus was interested in him. When he didn't care about Jesus, Jesus cared about him. And this is the story of everyone who believes in Jesus. When the mixtape of our souls was played out, when we were living la vida loca, when we were smooth criminals, when the label on our souls said prodigal mix, the Lord could have said, I don't want no scrubs. But instead, he recorded a new mix on our souls and put a new label on us, beloved children of God. And after his encounter with the resurrected Jesus, this is what the new mix on Paul's soul sounded like. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. If anyone else thinks they have reason to boast in their religious credentials, I have more. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I thank him who has given me strength Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Saul of Tarsus was forever changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And not only was he changed by the resurrection, for the rest of his life, he preached the resurrection. And he was ultimately martyred for clinging to the message of the resurrection. But the astonishing and most beautiful truth of the gospel is that when Saul was martyred. He was welcomed into glory by the cheers of the very people he martyred. That's how the gospel works. That's how the gospel works. That's the transforming power of the gospel. That's the beauty and goodness of the gospel. That enemies can be made family and be celebrated as they are brought in. And that's why church father Chrysostom could say, let no one mourn that he has fallen again and again. 
For forgiveness has risen from the grave. This is the gospel. And it's this gospel, it's this good news that I invite you to believe and build your life upon. No matter what mix has been recorded on your soul. Maybe you're in here today and when I ask what is the music recorded on your soul, you may say it's the blues. Because my life is hard and I'm suffering and it's unbearable. But I want you to know that the scriptures say that he can turn your mourning into dancing. In other words, Jesus can record gospel music over your blues. He can give you a new mix. No matter what label is on your life, no matter what music is recorded on your soul, newness begins with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Trust in him today. Do you see that a God who treats his enemies like this is worthy of your trust? If, if, if Jesus would go through all of these things for you, surely he's up to good in your life. What would he not do for you if he would go to the cross for you? Put your life in his hands. And by faith alone in Christ, you too shall rise. You too shall taste victory over the grave. One day, through faith in Christ, brothers and sisters, we will all live to see our greatest enemies dead at our feet. Death. Dead at our feet. Sin, dead at our feet. Suffering, dead at our feet. Pain, dead at our feet. And we will celebrate forevermore. But let's continue to anticipate that great celebration today. Let's pray. for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.